Welcome to the first ever introductory episode of the Close Range Hunter podcast. My name is Chris Dunn, and I'm the Close Range Hunter. Um, this podcast is going to be primarily about hunting, big game hunting, primarily in Arizona and the West. But I am a hunter of anything. I've hunted shed antlers. I've hunted gold nuggets. I currently hunt meteorites. Um, I will hunt anything. I just like being outdoors, looking for an excuse to go explore new places. This podcast is going to be primarily about big game hunting and primarily about big game hunting in Arizona and even more so probably more about bow hunting and even more so probably about traditional bow hunting. But I hunt with all weapon types, rifle, muzzleloader, compound bow, longbow, slingshot, I don't care. Um, I primarily hunt with a longbow because I like hunting with a longbow and I like getting close but mostly I just like hunting with a traditional bow. They're just fun to shoot all day long. I can go stump shooting at you know cow pies and pine cones or whatever's out there and it's just a fun way to be outside. So I, I titled my Instagram page Close Range Hunter um, and decided to make the podcast the same because um, that's kind of what I like to do and I see so much emphasis these days on long range shots. I, I honestly did try to take a poke at people who are shooting a thousand yards. Um, uh, and so, um, but it's all, all good. You know, I wish I could shoot a thousand yards of the rifle. I'm, I shake too much. I can't, I can't shoot that far, but, um, you know, I like, I like hunting anything. Um, recording this podcast sitting in my truck. Um, I thought what better time to do it than after I just shot a javelina with my longbow. Um, it's, uh, February of 2022. And uh, it's the ham hunt, handgun archery muzzleloader javelina hunt in Arizona. And um, in Arizona, you can get two javelina tags a year as long as they're not the same hunt. And so I already shot one javelina in January in a different unit during the archery season. And then I came out here today and found a javelina to, uh, to shoot today. So I might as well start out the podcast telling a little story about, about today's hunt. And then um, as time goes on, um, I'll talk more about... Uh, myself and why I started podcasts and um, you know what else we're going to talk about so so today uh, I'm hunting a new area I've never hunted javelina here before I came down here last weekend went quail hunting to do a little scouting and I had a pretty good day quail hunting shot eight quail in like two hours and my dog got some fun uh, chasing the quail around and stuff and so that was good but my main goal was to do a little scouting for javelina hunting and I did find some really good sign, and so I thought, well, I'll just come here. And I, I couldn't come out opening day. I had to work, so um, I came out here on Saturday, second day of the season, and uh, it was pretty cold. It was 14 degrees at my house this morning, and uh, so I kind of left late. Havelina don't like being out when it's cold any more than I do. So I um, came down here, didn't even start hunting till about 9 o'clock, and I had a plan to hike up in some hills where I'd seen the sign and the kind of place that Havelina might hide when it's cold and windy. And it was windy and they don't like being out when it's cold and windy. And I hiked around, hiked about four miles um, through the hills and did some glass and I didn't really see much except a bunch of cattle. But I did see a lot of fresh sign. And um, seeing as how it's the second day of the hunt, there were some other hunters in here. I thought, well, maybe they've been pressured a little bit. So I was kind of hiking back to the truck maybe around one o'clock and... and uh, looked out into some flats because there's a there's a 
big, thick uh, bunch of oak brush out here. And I thought, you know, this javelina might have been pushed out in that oak brush by the hunting pressure and, uh, and the cold wind. And so I glassed that. And sure enough, about a mile and a half away, I spotted a couple of javelina out there. And so I thought, oh, that's perfect, you know. So I made some marker trees kind of on my horizon. But once I got down in the flats, it was going to be pretty hard um, to see them because um, the grass and the and the little mesquites and stuff are kind of high. So, so I hoofed it across this flat as fast as I could in the direction I needed to be. Kind of looped around a little bit to get the wind right. And I remembered that there was a small drainage right before where I got to the javelina. And so I, uh, I got to that drainage. I dropped in the drainage and looked up and about 100 yards away there was a couple of javelina I thought, all right i got this wind was good and um so i actually got out my gopro put that on my hat because uh, i had videoed my earlier uh javelina hunt with the gopro and then magically deleted it when i was viewing the video in the field so i wanted to try to get another one of the gopro so i put the gopro on my hat and this drainage was perfect it was just a little shallow drainage with a few little mesquite trees in it maybe four feet deep and uh, it was perfect. I could just crouch down and stay out of their sight. And then whenever I wanted to see where they were, I could just stand up and I could look over the top of the, the drainage and look up top of the grass and spot their little dark backs in the yellow grass. So that's what I did till I got about 40 yards. And uh, I could see they were kind of feeding my direction. Wind was good. So I thought, well, I'll just kneel down here, get an arrow out and just wait for, let them do the, the hard work. Sure enough, pretty quickly, I had a, a big boar coming straight at me. And... Um, that doesn't bother me that much. They can't see real well, but sure enough, this one saw me at about 15 yards. He was right up on the berm of the of the little drainage, kind of looking down on me. And so I uh, I just stayed motionless, and he started woofing, and he got all bristled up, and he sort of spooked and ran to my left, which was perfect because I'm a right-handed shooter, and uh, ended up in the drainage just about 20 yards away from me, and turned and looked at me again, started woofing again, and um, I just decided, oh, I'm not going to take the head-on shot and um, waited for him to turn broadside so as soon as he started to turn like he was going to go away i drew and shot very rapidly not quite rapidly enough um, because he had continued turning and the arrow ended up hitting him right in the back of the skull and just dropped him right there on the spot so i didn't hit the kill zone that i was aiming at but i hit another kill zone that does a pretty good job and um, just dropped him and from the time i you know put that gopro on my head and i was 100 yards away or so, and I shot him, it was maybe three minutes. And that's the way javelina hunting is. You can spend all day looking for javelina glass and hiking around. And then when you spot them, you know, if you, if you have any sense of spot of stalking at all, you have a pretty good chance of getting a shot. I always feel like if I can see them, I'm going to get a shot. doesn't happen every time, but probably 80% of the time. And this couldn't have been a more perfect setup. So, Got the javelina, I paced it off. It turned out to be a 22-yard shot. I didn't think about the yardage at all before I shoot. I never do when I'm shooting a traditional bow, but um, that's about as far as I'd want to shoot. Most of my javelina shots have been, you know, under 12 or even 10 yards. And I think two years ago, I shot one at about six feet because I crawled up on top of a boulder and shot straight down on it. Um, javelina are the ultimate bow hunting animal and even better for traditional bow hunting because you can get so close to them. And they're not very wary. Stalking them is, is really easy um, as long as you have the wind right. And you, and you just don't get spooked. You know, they, if they see you, they think they're, you know, they're seeing something. But if you just stay still, a lot of times they'll just calm down. And even if they spook, you can often call them back in 
um, with some, some vocal calls or maybe using a predator call if you really spook them bad. And that's all something we can talk about later. But uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, you know, two javelina this year with longbows. This one I shot with my Tolkien Whip, which is a super sweet shooting bow. Uh, it's 50 pounds at my draw length. Shooting Wenzel Woodsman, three-blade broadheads, um, Black Eagle Vintage arrows, and uh, it just does a great job. And the one I shot earlier in the year, same arrow, same broadheads, but I was using my Black Canyon three-piece longbow from uh, Mike Hayes in uh, Pueblo, Colorado that makes Black Canyon longbows. They're both just super sweet bows. Um, so psyched to shoot with them. It's just it's just too bad we don't get to hunt more. And that's why I started putting in for the, the leftover javelina tags here because I want as many opportunities as I can. People who live in the Midwest and the East and the South, you know, they get to shoot, you know, half a dozen whitetails a year and hogs and, you know, several turkeys and stuff like that. Here in Arizona, we got to draw tags for the most part and uh, the hunting is really hard. The game can be scarce, and um, it, it's the the shooting opportunities are much much lower. So especially for traditional bow hunters, you need those shot opportunities. You need the stock opportunities to get close enough. And so you just got to take every chance you get. And you know, hardly anybody in Arizona hunts with a traditional bow. There's a few of us that are kind of getting together these days. Uh, uh, Justin Thompson started a little group called the Trad Bow Cronies of Arizona. Look him up on Instagram. And, uh, but there's just not that many and I totally get it. You know, you might wait 10, 15 years to get that Arizona elk tag and you want to, um, do everything you can to make sure you fill that tag. And, and we also have trophy animals. And so there's a lot of pressure to try to kill a trophy animal. And so, um, you know, the last elk I shot, I shot with a compound bow. I was kind of going back and forth between the longbow and the compound bow, but my longbow shooting just, just fell apart. And, um, I just didn't have the confidence. I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to blow this this opportunity. Um, I might not get an elk tag for quite a while. And um, I ended up shooting this elk at about 20 yards with a compound bow. I could have made the shot with my longbow. And earlier in the season, I had a 10-yard shot, broadside shot at a bull, um, that if I had been using my, my longbow, I would have killed it. But I was using a compound bow and shooting a type of broadhead that rhymes with cage, and got about three inches of penetration at 10 yards, you know, shooting a 60-pound compound bow. It just, it was like shooting with a judo point. And um, that bull just walked away. And I know had I been shooting my longbow, I would have killed it. But um, but anyhow, that's the way it goes. I was, I was super psyched to kill that bull uh, with compound bow, longbow, I don't care. Um, and it's just, you know, in Arizona, when you get that tag, you want to make sure you kill something. And so I get it why people don't shoot with a traditional bow, but I would encourage everybody to give it a try. And javelina are the best thing to do. The tags aren't hard to get. Sometimes you get a leftover tag and um, you can get real close. And if you don't get one, you're not heartbroken anyway. You know, it's not like it's going to be the, the last javelina tag you ever get. So so that's kind of close range hunting, javelina hunting. I could say 22 yards today was a pretty long shot for me on a javelina, but um I think most people can get good enough to shoot a traditional bow at that range. My daughter killed her javelina last year in her first hour ever bow hunting. She had just started shooting a bow at Thanksgiving time and had this javelina tag for January. Um, she's shooting a 35-pound recurve and uh, that she got from uh, Marv Klinky, great traditional bow hunter from Colorado, and um, took her out to a spot ride, killed mine a couple days before got into her to Havelina and uh, 
I was like, well, you know, I've been watching her practice. She's she's real solid out to 15 yards. I think we can get a 15-yard shot. And, um, making the long story short, I kind of woofed in this uh, javelina to 15 yards. It was actually 14, I guess, after we paced it off. And I just kind of sat back and watched it. I'm like, well, we're going to see what she's made of. She's shot a couple big game animals with a rifle, but had never shot anything with a bow, had never shot at anything with a bow, had never even been bow hunting before in her life. And this javelina walks up there, and I saw the look of a killer come across her face. And um, she drew back and just drilled that thing. And I was like, well, that that was going to happen. You know, I realized that um, my daughter Phoebe is, uh, she is a hunter. And the funny thing is, as a child, she didn't care much about hunting. She didn't like it. Oh, you have to be so quiet, and you got to hike around a bunch, you know. But something, some switch turned in her head. Now, now all of a sudden she's a hunter. And to watch the look on her face, the determination, when that javelina stopped at 14 yards and she drew back that recurve and took aim and shot it, it was, I was like, well, she's got what it takes. And uh, we went back out this year. Um, she had the same tag this year, went back to the same place, had to hunt a little harder this time, not more than an hour. Actually, we hunted like three days. And uh, finally got in some javelina. And like I said, once you see them, you're usually going to get a shot. And after a series of, of uh, kind of mishaps, she uh, she eventually got a shot at about five yards, probably 45 degree angle straight down from shooting from the top of a boulder and um, shot under it, which could totally happen, especially shooting a traditional bow, shooting instinctively that close. Um, she, actually, she shot over it. I take it back. She shot over it. Um, and... Uh, there's more to that story that maybe I'll tell sometime, but we ended up chasing these javelina ways and she ended up getting another shot. This one was a little over 20 yards and that one she shot under it, but it was a steep uphill shot. And, um, but I just, just watching her go after these javelina and the determination on her face that she was going to get a shot no matter what, it was, it was impressive. Um, and I just love it. And so, you know, the whole close range hunting thing, um, you shoot them with a rifle from far away. Hey, you can be happy. You got some meat. You you know you you got one. You were successful. I totally get that. You know I shot a shot a coos deer this year with my rifle at right about 300 yards, maybe 275. Super happy to get it. But when you when you turn it around and make it into close range shot, um, it gets a little a little more exciting, a little more real. And and I'd say 300 yards on a coos deer these days is a pretty close range shot. And and that's the other thing why why I chose to use the name close range hunter is whatever weapon I hunt with, I try to hunt at a range that is uh, sort of appropriate for that weapon. Um, I've killed one large bull elk with a muzzleloader, about 75 yard shot, open sights, solid lead bullet, you know, not a traditional muzzleloader, it was an inline muzzleloader, but it, but it actually qualifies as a traditional muzzleloader kill because I was using powdered powdered powder um, rather than pellets. I was using a solid lead bullet and I shot open sights. Um, I've shot two antelope with a traditional Hawkins style muzzleloader, round ball, all that at, uh, about 75 yards. Uh, I've shot a bunch of bulls, um, with archery. My longest ever archery shot was 75 yards with a 45 pound compound. Cause I just broken my collarbone a few weeks before. So I borrowed a, my friend's wife's compound bow, but I shot that elk instinctively at 70 yards with a 45 pound compound and, and killed it. And, um, my next longest shot was actually a 40 yard shot and that was with a longbow. Nice bull I shot 2014 or 13 or something like that. Every other bull I've killed has been under 25 yards, 
um, again, you can get close, you know, you, and, and so that's, that's really fun. Um, yeah, whatever I'm hunting, the longest shot I've ever made on anything with a rifle is 350 yards and a coos deer. And, um, I've killed two Boone and Crockett coos deer at under 150 yards each. Um, you know, when somebody says, oh, you gotta be able to shoot 800 yards if you want to kill one of those big ones. Well, I got proof you don't have to. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. If you can shoot that far, more power to you because I can't. And uh, honestly, I mean that. I wish I could shoot that kind of range. But um, it's just fun to be a close range hunter and and get out there and get into the wildlife. You know, I, I thought about calling my podcast Solo Hunter, but apparently somebody already did that. Um, but the funny thing is I didn't realize that solo hunting was a thing until recently because I always solo hunt. I rarely hunt with somebody else. And I was listening to uh, somebody else's podcast. I think it was uh, Chris Denham, Western Hunter podcast. He had Remy Warren on there. And they were talking about Remy Warren hunting solo all the time. And I thought, is that a thing? Is that a is that a big deal to hunt solo? And Remy had the exact same philosophy I have. I'm a better hunter when I hunt alone. Um, I don't have to worry about losing somebody else. I don't worry about them making noise and screwing things up. I don't have to explain to them why I'm doing what I'm doing. I can really get intuitive about how I'm hunting that animal. Um, it's almost happening by instinct when I'm out there by myself. Having somebody else along really sort of detracts from it. Now, that being said, I, I, I enjoy guiding other people, you know, when it's their tag and I'm helping them. And again, maybe it's a control thing. I like to tell them what to do, but it works out pretty well. Um, you know, my daughters have killed killed pretty good animals. My wife's killed pretty good animals. And, you know, they're not that serious of hunters, Um but um, I go into a different mode when I'm hunting for somebody else, you know, or I'm guiding somebody else. And so um, it's still about close range hunting, but whatever it is, um, I'm doing that. So, so anyhow, there's a couple hunting stories. Um, and my, my vision of this podcast is that we'll talk mostly about hunting, but I'm going to talk about meteorite hunting. I'm going to talk about gold hunting. I'm going to interview some people. I've got a buddy who is a, uh, search and rescue guy, um, and, you know, Wilder's first aid instructor. I want to, I'm going to interview him so he can, he can tell you how not to, to meet him while he's at work doing search and rescue. Um, he's got lots of great stories about that. Um, wilderness first aid I've taken from him three times cause you have to renew every couple of years. So he's a great wilderness first aid instructor. Um, I'll, I'll interview some of my other friends from other fields. I've been a rock climber for 45 years. I have some friends that are real characters, in the rock climbing world um, that are entertaining. Um, and we'll probably talk about hunting on those too, but um, it's uh, it's really just about telling stories and educating people. I really, uh, I'm a professor by trade and uh, I like teaching. I've taught people how to rock climb. I've taught people how to hunt that have gone on to become, you know, professional guides and great rock climbers and stuff like that. I really enjoy teaching people the things I know. and. Really, the reason why I started, I wanted to start a podcast, besides being told by several people that I should start a podcast, was from listening to podcasts. And I started listening to podcasts a couple of years ago, and I, I thought, man, these are great. I can be, I drive a lot. I can listen to these while I'm on a long drive, and and I can learn something. I can be entertained. And as I listen to more specifically hunting podcasts, I realized a lot of people were talking about things as if they were new discoveries, things that I just took for granted, things I've known forever. And it seems like that happens pretty regularly. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I really do have something to share. And that's one of the reasons why people had told me I should start a podcast. You know, I'll get in a conversation and be talking about this. And they're like, man, that's, that was, I really learned a lot. You know, you should, you should start a podcast. 
I didn't even know what a podcast was the first time somebody said that. And um, my daughter, who has a degree in mass communication, my other daughter, Zoe, um, she was trying to turn me on a podcast years ago. And, and uh, I thought, that eh, sounds boring listening to people talk about stuff, you know. But I, I found out later, you know, the first podcast I really listened to um, was the uh, Rob Petito Stickbow Chronicles podcast. I thought, you know, I'm going to kind of get back into the hunting world and kind of divorce myself from the from the hunting industry, in quotes, um, after being a guide for a long time and and, uh, and being really immersed in it. I, I kind of wanted to step away. I didn't like the way things were going. And I spent most of my time hunting by myself or with my family and I really didn't know much about it. And then I decided, you know, my kids are off to college and out of the house. I'm going to, I'm going to start hunting, get more into it. And I, and I started looking, well, I'm going to look for something about traditional bow hunting. I found Stickbow Chronicles and it's great. I loved it. And then I found Trad Quest and, and Western Bow Hunter and, um, then Kafaru Cast, you know, with Aaron Snyder. And, um, you know, then I started listening to science podcasts and all kinds of other stuff. And, and I realized there's a lot of podcasts out there. You just got to hunt around for something you like. And so I've been listening long enough um, that I feel like, well, maybe I have something to add to this. And so, so I finally decided to get some podcasting gear and, and give it a try. And, um, hopefully, hopefully you like it. And hopefully as time goes on, um, I'll figure out what I'm doing and I'll start doing a better job and, um, you'll learn something and hopefully be entertained by some of the, some of the stories I have to tell. Uh, I don't have plans to have a regular co-host, but I certainly want to have people help me out. There's, it's a lot more fun when you have people to talk, um, talk to and go back and forth with. So hopefully we'll get some more, some more people in here. And, uh, I'm hoping to get some, get some, uh, suggestions from people, you know, on Instagram or something. Once I post my first podcast, um, see if I can get a few people to listen to it. And then what I'd like to do is get people to tell me, you know, who do they want to hear from? What do they want to hear about? What are the things that, you know, Maybe you want to know about hunting, about backcountry travel, backpacking, whatever. Um, you know, I have a lifetime of, of backcountry sports. And like I say, I've been rock climbing. I started backpacking when I was nine years old, which I'm going to give my, way, my age away. Um, that was 50 years ago. Still backpacking, but now I have llamas. I've, had, I've been packing with llamas for over 25 years. We have a pack llama business, ArizonaLlamas.com. Look us up. Um, and I have done 17 Grand Canyon River trips. I've boated in Alaska and Colorado. I've done caving, um, fly fishing, uh, catching salmon in Alaska on a fly rod. Pretty exciting. Um, you know, all just all kinds of stuff. I, I, one of my latest passions is meteorite hunting. Um, I found uh, over 150 meteorites um, out in the desert. Um, it's pretty cool. I didn't know you could find meteorites until, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And really kind of got into it. And now I'm kind of obsessed with that. So, so I have a lot of backcountry experience. And I think one of the, one of the things that I have to offer is by melding these different things together. You know, I, I, I started using headlamps 35 years ago because I was caving. And, um, I remember being on a river trip in the Grand Canyon in the nineties and people giving me a hard time like, Oh, well, look at Cyclops. He's got a light on the center of his forehead. Ha ha ha. And I was like, ah, you'll, you'll see. And now, now there's podcasts and websites, you know, dedicated to uh, headlamps and headlamp reviews and stuff. You know, I started traditional bow hunting for almost 30 years ago before that was cool, you know, and did it for a long time. And then when I started listening to these podcasts, I'm like, wait, traditional bow hunting's cool now. That's kind of cool. You know, so, 
So I feel like my broad range of experience, um, I can, I can put that stuff together and, you know, take advantage of, of the different, um, tools and techniques from different activities and put them together to make any one of those things better. Um, you know, the light ultra lightweight backpacking is a thing. Now my wife and I started that 35 years ago in the Grand Canyon, we realized, man, we can go a lot farther if we don't carry so much crap. And so we'd, we started going with, you know, just day packs and, and, you know, no stove and no, no food that you have to cook. And we'd bring one sleeping bag and a little insulate pad and a tarp, you know, that was our, our kit. And we could do 25 mile days in the Grand Canyon with that kind of stuff, you know, and now there's all this fantastic lightweight backpacking gear out there that's made backpack hunting so much um, more doable as well. But I don't want to backpack on. I've got llamas now. They, they, they'll, they'll pack, pack in chairs and tables and fresh food for me. But um, I have, I'll still do it. But if I can, I'll use the llamas. But, um, you know, there's just a lot of stuff out there. And people, whether you're a hunter or a backpacker or a mountain biker, that's something else I've done. I've raced mountain bikes and done, you know, endurance mountain bike races and cross-country mountain bike races and done bikepacking uh, trips. Um, you know, so all these different things, when you have this broad range of experiences, really add up. And, um, and it can make, make you more confident in the field and, and save you a lot of hassles. Um, just little little tricks about not getting lost, and if you do get lost, how to get found. You know, there's there's just so much out there. So, so hopefully we'll have a bunch of talks about that. You know, whether it's me talking about my experience or talking to other people. Um, that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking we're gonna do. But if we can get some uh, ideas from other people um, about things they want to hear or learn about, um, you can check out. I have a website that I don't really do anything with for my hunting guiding business. It's just called Arizona Backcountry Guides. Um, and we also have Arizona backcountry llamas. Um, but I'm very interested in teaching people how to hunt and how to traditional bow hunt and um, um, how to do backcountry stuff. And so hopefully this podcast will help do that. And, you know, if you want to learn more kind of hands-on in the field stuff, look me up and, and I can do some of that um, for you as well. So that's it. The first uh, edition introduction to the Close Range Hunter podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, and I hope uh, hope you shoot straight. Bye.